Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. The scripture reading for for today comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, if you want to follow along with me in your phone. In verse 11, it says, As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached out the border between Galilee and Samaria, and he entered a village there. Ten men with leprosy stood at at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, we are in our third week uh, in a series we're calling uh, Practicing the Way on Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, essentially, what we're doing is we are, um, we, we did this in the spring. This is sort of part two of this. We are, t- it's a series all about connecting with Jesus as a whole person, not just a part of your person, but a whole, uh, whole person. So the first week we talked a little bit about Sabbath. Last week, Chad, if you missed that, check that out on the podcast. He did incredible talking about enlarging our soul through grief and loss, uh, which is a really hard topic that I gave him and didn't do myself. Um, but we keep circling back to this thesis statement. This is this is what this series is on: is um, is that our spiritual lives uh, cannot, our spiritual health cannot outpace our emotional health. Uh, that if we want to be spiritually healthy, then it requires having a full view of our personal our personhood, uh, which includes emotional health. Um, and we find this all throughout the scriptures. So uh, today we are going to talk about gratitude. I called it the risk of gratitude because I think gratitude can be a little bit risky. Um, but to get us rolling, I want to read you some letters written by kids to God. My dad had this book around our house all the time growing up. Um, and I don't know who can teach us about gratitude better than kids. Um, also note that it was written uh, uh, many years ago. Uh, I don't know if that matters. But anyway, okay, uh, here's the first one. This is really sweet. Uh, a little boy named Jeff writing uh, a letter of gratitude to God. He says, uh, Dear God, it's really great the way you get the stars in the right places every single night. Is that not so sweet? Um, here's one. This one is Gratitude with Logic. Uh, it's from a kid named Jonathan. I don't know that it was Johnny Williams that wrote this, but we can't be sure that it wasn't also. But um, Gratitude with Logic, I love this. Uh, dear, dear God, if you did not let the dinosaurs become extinct, we would not have a country. You did the right thing. <laughs> is that not so perfect? I love this. Uh, here's one from Denise. I'm going to call this pre-gratitude. This one might be a bit of a stretch, but I love it. Dear God, if we come back as something after we die, please don't let me become Jennifer Horton because I hate her. <laughs> and then finally, a real testament to gratitude here um, comes from a little girl named Joyce. She says, she says, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. 
So thank you, Joyce. Uh, and talking about emotionally healthy spirituality and about becoming a whole free person before God in the world. Uh, gratitude is just a giant thing. Like it's just a big uh, giant thing. Karl Barth, a theologian I love, he goes as far as to say gratitude is the thing that makes us fully human. Gratitude, the thing that makes us fully human. He says that uh, when we come into covenant, the covenant of grace between God, uh, that covenant of grace doesn't just make us a partner with God. It does that. But it also binds us to gratitude uh, forever. Uh, when it comes to grace, gratitude is what follows. He says it beautifully like this. I think this is in your bulletin, um, this quote. He says, gratitude and grace, they belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice and an echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. These two belong together. Uh, N.T. Wright, a theologian that gets lots of mentions around these parts, uh, calls the rhythm of faith and gratitude what being a Christian is all about. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 calls gratitude the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. Uh, when it comes to following the way of Jesus and the path of freedom, gratitude is so, so deeply woven into the formula, for lack of a better word, of what it means to become more human, of what it means to become more free. Uh, but it's not just the theologians that say this. Uh, Harvard Health says uh, in the study of positive psychology uh, that gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Have you seen articles like this or studies like this? Uh, I read a study this week. Um, from Berkeley, where they, they studied 300 young adults, most of whom were in college. Um, and it was a study about uh, 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 happiness and mental health. And, and in this study, they, did, they weren't just able to connect gratitude with happiness and mental health. They did something even bigger. They were able to see through MRI uh, technology that gratitude has long-lasting effects in the medial prefrontal cortex of our brain, the adult part of, uh, of our brain. Uh, what it means is that that gratitude actually impacts the neuroplasticity, uh, the, the brain's ability to change and modify, uh, 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 adapt itself, that gratitude affects the neuroplasticity of our brain. That gratitude doesn't just help us in the short term, it changes us in the long term. Uh, there are scientific studies, uh, I, I read loads of them this week, that say that the practice of gratitude helps us feel better physically, uh, sleep better, relate better. It lowers our levels of stress and cortisol. There are even uh, studies I was reading um, that are around the impact of specifically religious gratitude, like gratitude toward God. Uh, scientists, they, they think that, that all of this impact of gratitude on our brains and our bodies comes from a two-stage process. Like this was in almost every article I read. This was so fascinating to me. Um, they say that gratitude is an affirmation of the goodness of your life, but it also requires an acknowledgement that this goodness lies at least in part uh, outside of your own self. Psychologically speaking, gratitude is not just recognition of what's good in your life. It's also a response to something outside of it. Listen to this. This is the most quoted scientific definition of gratitude I could find. So more than one article, same definition. It's actually in your bulletin, so you can check me on it. Um, this is the scientific definition of gratitude. Gratitude is associated with a personal benefit that was not intentionally sought after, deserved, or earned, but rather because of the good intentions of another person. Does it sound a little familiar? This definition, it, I, it stunned me this week. 
And I thought, who on earth has a greater capacity for gratitude than the church? who reap the benefits of grace without deserving, without earning, but all because of the good intentions of Jesus. What could be a more fundamentally Christian way to live? Uh, In your bulletin too, Christian philosopher Albert Borgman says this. Feel free to groan alongside me. A life without grace and gratitude is unchristian. Not in, in this failing or that But from the ground up, it denies our capacity for redemption. Uh, We are, as people of Jesus, recipients of the grace of Jesus. And that makes us uh, primed for gratitude. And yet, I'm not always grateful. Are you? I can be very crabby. It doesn't look like this on my face, but you ask my family. I can be very crabby. I can be very critical. I am more often unimpressed than impressed. Uh, last week, uh, our staff was in Phoenix at a vineyard conference with um, vineyard churches from all over the world. It really was absolutely sort of like a denominational meeting um, but just tons of pastors and staff from vineyard churches all over the world. And um, and in the last talk of the week, uh, a man named Phil Strout, who's been our national director for the last few years, um, he was, it was his, he's moving out and we're getting a new national director. And so his, in his final kind of uh, farewell speech, he quoted 1 Thessalonians 5 that uh, I just said earlier, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And he said this, he, he said, When gratitude is given a preemptive place in our lives, there is not much room for grumpy. Gratitude, it takes away the sting of critique. Ugh. When gratitude is given preemptive place in our lives, there is not much room for grumpy uh, for the sting of critique. I want to come back to this. I want to briefly jump back to our scripture lesson that Chad uh, read us out of Luke 17 um, and talk about that, and then we're going to visit what Phil Strout said again. So, uh, Jesus, he's walking uh, in between towns when 10 lepers come up to him and they ask him for mercy. Luke tells us that they stood at a distance because that's what lepers always did. They stood at a distance. They were outcasts, outsiders, unable to experience life full and free. And so they come to Jesus from far away and they say, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, does something I think is interesting. He says, uh, tells them to go and tell the priests. Which sounds like a really weird thing. Like, why was it not just like, you're healed, go home? Um, but in Old Testament law, in Leviticus chapter 14, um, the he- there's a path marked out for what it looked like to get healed from a skin disease. A very specific set of, of rules, should you get healed from a skin disease. Um, and-, and this is what happens, is-, is if you get healed from a skin disease, you go to the priest, and then you are then checked out by the priest, who then kills two birds and mixes their blood together with some hyssop and some other things. And then he sprinkles that blood on you. Uh, And then you have to go away for eight days. Um, But on the seventh day that you're away, you have to shave all of the hair off of your body and wash your clothes and your entire body in order to get uh, clean for the ceremony that's going to take place on the eighth day where you come back to the priest who then kills a male lamb and a female lamb. Then he takes their blood and he puts it on the person who's healed right uh, big toe and right thumb 
I'm really not kidding. This is actually in there. Please look up Leviticus 14 and check me on this. There's like an olive oil situation in your left hand, blood on your right hand. It's a whole thing. It is a whole process. Uh, Jesus, and so what he's doing is he's sending these men um, to the priest. Not only is he sending them to their healing, but he's also sending them to get them reinstated back into society. It wasn't enough uh, to just say, I'm healed. You had to be reinstated back into society by the priest. And so that's what Jesus is doing. It's this act of mercy. That's what they asked for. Uh, But as they run to the priest, one of them turns around, which is so interesting. Uh, And he's a Samaritan. He's an outcast on two levels. Not only is he a leper, he's also someone that nobody wanted to associate with socially. He's the Samaritan. And he comes back and he falls to the ground, grateful, thanking Jesus for what he had done. And I've been so curious this week about why. Like, why is he the one that came back? And it came up with loads of reasons. Uh, maybe it was because he was a Samaritan, so he didn't know the law. He didn't know that he needed to go get all the blood on his, tongue, his toe and his thumb and his olive oil and all that. Um, that's absolutely possible. Jesus didn't walk them, you know, exegetically through Leviticus 14 and give them the whole process here. Uh, or maybe, this is kind of Orlando, there's a chance that in a different way, I, th- I wonder if this guy in a different way uh, was able to see Jesus as who he was, as the fulfillment of that whole process, the fulfillment of the law, the kingdom of God at hand. Uh, the truth is that Jesus made uh, the law in the Leviticus for, to, to go to the priest for healing. Jesus made that uh, finished work completely unnecessary. And this is the one guy that notices it. And so I've just wondered uh, all week if this man um, in gratitude, if his gratitude beat his blind obedience. I don't say, I don't want to be little obedience. I just want to elevate gratitude. <laughs> this man, he, he, he didn't come back because someone made him. Uh, this wasn't a have to thank you. Like uh, when your mom makes you write thank you letters to everybody before you're allowed to play with your birthday presents. Some of y'all didn't do that and it shows. Um, this is not a have to thank you. This was a want to thank you. And I cannot help myself thank you. And I wouldn't find myself doing anything else thank you. I'm going to disobey you in order to thank you, thank you. So often for Jesus, uh, it was the outsider who sees him for who he is. We have, side note, we have a lot to learn from outsiders. A lot to learn from outsiders, and that includes gratitude. Uh, Here's one more interesting thing on the story. Um, The word for well that gets used for the Samaritan uh, versus for the nine other lepers uh, is the Greek word sozo. And it's a different word than than healed, which which goes with uh, the Samaritan. Healed was eomai. But the word that gets used for this one guy, this one Samaritan leper, is sozo. And sozo, it does mean heal, but it goes beyond heal. It also means to be made whole. To be made whole. I think that the leper returns with gratitude because in some way he sees a wider picture. He sees this isn't just me going back to regular life without sores on my skin. He sees I have been made whole by Jesus. This is a a resurrection story. He, according to society, was dead. And Jesus has brought him back to life. He was an outcast and now accepted a leper who had been healed. And so I think gratitude for him is beyond returning uh, to life as it once was. It is now a celebration of new life perpetually rising out of what was once dead. 
Uh, Gratitude is no stranger to the process of death and resurrection. It is the continual acknowledgement of new life perpetually rising out of what was once dead. Uh, Gratitude, I think, acknowledges what was and celebrates the hope of what could be. That's why it's so risky. Gratitude isn't just grateful for what is. It celebrates the hope of what could be. Gratitude risks hope. Thankful exists right next to what could be true. And so gratitude is an intentional return to the source of new life, the source of all hope and joy and mercy. Uh, Here's the truth. All 10 lepers were healed from what we have, right? All of them were healed. Uh, All of them went from dead life to new life. The nine who went to the priest, I don't think were any less healed uh, than the one who returned. The difference with the one who returned, I think it seems to just be gratitude. There's this intimate experience that he gets all on his own because of gratitude, a recognition and a response to an act of grace uh, and to a new hope. And so to me, uh, when I think of how do we take this story and apply it to our lives, I I think that these are our steps when it comes to gratitude. I think they are recognition and response. They're the the courage to recognize the world how it is, uh, but also a willingness to take a few steps back and see a wider picture of wholeness and hope, and then responding to what we see as people who have been made whole uh, by the gift of someone else's life. Uh, recognition and response. It sounds really easy, but it can be very, very tricky. Uh, Do you know what anxiety steals from us? Lots of things, but here's one. I'm stealing this. uh, My Monday preacher is a guy named Adam Russell, and I'm just swiping this from him. Uh, Anxiety steals recognition from us. That's one of our steps of gratitude, and I think uh, anxiety steals it. Anxiety has this way of shortening and narrowing our view. Anyone else? Shortening and narrowing our view, but gratitude Gratitude widens the periphery. It widens uh, our vision. It widens what we're able to see. It widens the view. And I don't know about you, but uh, this is so true for me. When I view my life through a uh, small, anxious lens, as I have a lot over the last few months, more than ever in my life, um, when, I, when I view the world through a small, anxious lens, it is so hard for me, almost impossible for me to see the incredibly complex and brilliant and uh, abundant and rich steps that had to take place in my life to get me here this morning in front of you or, or anywhere. When I see my life through a small, anxious lens, uh, I become a little more like the nine lepers, still healed, and excited to return to normal life, but, but I want to be the one. I, I want to be the one. I want to be so marked by gratitude that I return to the feet of the one who set me free. So how, how do we do it? Uh, do we just, like, become less grumpy and critical and then just become more grateful and that will make us like the one instead of the nine? Um, I don't know. You may have great steps for that. I have yet to find them. Um, but it, it, I, it, here's this. If you find yourself a little bit numb in this season of life, a little bit grumpy or critical, first of all, join the club. Uh, We're not selling those t-shirts, but maybe we will. Um, I I don't have six steps to make you more grateful, uh, but I do have this. If you are struggling with gratitude, look for goodness. That's what the one did. He looked back to the source of goodness. There is goodness to be found almost, I, I think there's goodness to be found anywhere. 
And so if, if you're struggling with gratitude, return to the source of goodness. Uh, I have a friend named Chris Jones, and um, Daniel and I, uh, years, many years ago now, had a wedding shower uh, with some of my parents' friends, and they uh, sat around and gave us marriage advice, which was awesome. And um, one was uh, a woman told me, don't ever take out the trash, because if you do, he'll know you can, and then you'll have to moving forward. And I just gave it away, but I've stuck to that one. Um, not many of the other pieces of advice, but I have not taken out the trash. No. Um, but Chris, her advice was this. She said when she and her husband Jeff get in a fight, uh, what she does is if it's like not going anywhere, she'll ask for a timeout, and then she goes for a walk around her neighborhood. And on the walk, she prays and she asks Jesus to remind her of all the reasons why she loves Jeff to remind her of all the good parts of Jeff. And so she said that by the time she made it back home, she would walk inside and kind of freak him out because she just wanted to go cuddle for a little while because she was like so in love with Jeff uh, that she wasn't fighting with Jeff uh, anymore. I, 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 that might sound really simple, but that's because it is. Uh, the truth is when I look for goodness, it can be found. It doesn't take away the badness necessarily. It just can be found. And for me, goodness is often followed by gratitude. The kingdom of God is at hand in our world, and it can be found. But I spent a lot of my life with a small and anxious view or kind of a numb view, not because there aren't good things in my life, just because life is hard and relationships are hard, and just being a person is really hard. So here's some truth. Uh, when I struggle to find good things in my life, uh, it does not expose my life as terrible as much as it exposes my own criticalness. It exposes my own numbness and my own grumpiness. When I struggle to find good things in Daniel or good things in my kids, it doesn't expose them as horrible. It exposes me as critical. Uh, last week, I said I was in Phoenix and and seriously, Vineyard Church from all over the world, it was absolutely amazing. But there were a few times I showed up, we went to like two church services a day. And I would show up, one time I remember showing up and I was like, this worship is terrible. Like, I don't even like, it's too loud. I think there's a smoke machine. We have the opposite of that at Springbrook. You know, like, I was like, ah, this is awful. And then the speaker wasn't really quite what I hoped they would be. And the transitions were kind of awkward in the service, which I should appreciate in a service. But, um, but that didn't, the truth is, that didn't expose the Vineyard conference as being boring or bad or out of touch. It exposed me as struggling with gratitude and swimming and critical. It is not a bad thing to look at things uh, critically in the world in order to make them better. That's part of our uh, humanity. We're meant to be creators. We're meant to make things better. But I think that there are plenty of us who spend so much time trying to make people and things better that we miss getting to enjoy what's right in front of us in any moment. The lesson today is not don't have a critical eye. The lesson today is lead with gratitude because gratitude takes the sting of critique. So here's what I'm going to do. Let's, we're, I want to start now. Um, we probably should have moved the service inside because it's too chilly, but I wanted to practice gratitude here on this hill because look at that. <laughs> Uh, so here's here's what we're going to do. Like anything in the world, gratitude takes practice. It's not just some magic switch that gets flipped and somehow we're emotionally and spiritually healthy and we're grateful for things. Uh, but we can start practicing now in this minute. So I want to invite the Spirit of God, the source of all goodness, to remind us how to enjoy again, to risk the hope of gratitude again. Um, 
so uh, we'll take a few minutes and, and be quiet. There's some scriptures in the bulletin, if that's helpful for you. Um, they're from Colossians 2. I finally moved on from Colossians 1. Uh, they're from Colossians 2, and they're so good. Um, but if you don't know where to start, uh, let's start here. Uh, start with uh, the people closest to you. Um, start with whatever Brad Hitch is about to do on a guitar, because it's what, what he does is what a guitar is supposed to do, right? Uh, start with the leaves changing colors, the mountains in the background, whatever it looks like. Um, we'll just take a few minutes and be quiet. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll practice. So, Father, I pray for the courage in this moment to be the one Samaritan leper. I pray for the courage in this moment to come back to you, the source of all fullness, the source of all goodness. And I pray that you would meet us, that you would, um, would you show us the complex and abundant and rich steps that took to lead us to this moment.